Well, good morning. Uh, as was said, my name is Jeff Vandermol, and I'm uh, a new faculty member at Calvin Seminary, and so my first thing I'm supposed to do is, I was telling the president, uh, Jewel Maidenblick, that I was going to be here today, and he said, well, be sure to give my greetings to the church and people there, because presumably he knows some of you. Uh, so if you know Jewel and are friends with him, he says hi. Um, just a little bit about me before we get started. I'm, uh, for the last 20 years, up until this past July, I've been a pastor in Canada, uh, in Toronto, and then a church planter in Calgary, and then back to Toronto again. And uh, just recently, I uh, was appointed to this position that I'm brand new at and trying to figure out what it is, Director of Vocational Formation, which means I do some teaching about leadership and try to, uh, try to help emerging leaders be well-formed. Um, so we'll see how, how we do with that. I'm also a husband. Uh, my wife is a therapist here in, in Grand Rapids. Um, I have two kids, 13 and 15, who are not as thrilled about moving in the middle of high school as you might imagine they would be. Uh, and I was also Pastor Tony's classmate uh, in seminary, which I know what you're thinking. I look way too young to be the same class as Tony. Uh, but we did go to seminary together. And so glad to be here. When Tony said he was having surgery, he said, would you, like, would you like to come and preach? And this is the first time, other than this morning at nine, that I've gotten to speak at a church since being a pastor in finishing in July. So uh, I'm not sure if I'm ever not going to be a pastor, but for now, this is a big helpful thing for me. So glad to be here with you. That's the long and short of it. I'd like to ask you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in your Bibles. We're going to read uh, five or six verses there. And then we're going to talk uh, particularly about the work that the Holy Spirit does in us uh, around the area of transforming and change. The big theological word that we might have heard in our past is the word sanctification, but we're going to talk in a little bit more nuts and bolts-like ways about what does the work of the Holy Spirit look like when he's transforming us, and how do we participate in it? And so we're going to use some words from Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's the end of our reading for this morning. Would you join me in a prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that Paul spoke um, thousands of years ago. And we would ask that the same Holy Spirit that spoke to him would now speak to us about our lives and about your work in the transformation of us as individuals, as a community, as a church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So a simple question we're going to start with this morning, and it's sort of a gut check question for you, just to gauge. We're not going to ask for feedback, just maybe internally come to an answer to this question. Are you, in the last while, becoming more like Jesus or not? 
if by some magic we were able to go back and take a, a spiritual snapshot of who you were a year ago, knowing your strengths, your weaknesses, the things that you were growing in, the things that maybe were a struggle, just have a spiritual snapshot and said, this is who you were a year ago, and then this is who you are right now. Would you be able to say, you know what? God has been doing things in me. I can see it. I can measure it. I can point out the places where the Holy Spirit has been changing me. And I've been participating in this sanctifying work. I've actually been a, a participant in the transforming work that God's done. Maybe a couple of questions around that. Does your life look more and more like Jesus? Does it sound more and more like Jesus in the words you're speaking? Do you sense in yourself um, a Christ-likeness that's growing? In evidence, things like, I'm more forgiving than I used to be. I'm able to be gracious when someone offends me and, and forgive them. Uh, I have more patience, more peace, more kindness, more gentleness now than I ever had in previous time because the Holy Spirit's been doing these things in me and I've been participating in them. Do you, uh, do you see the transforming work of God going on inside of you? And do you see it evidenced in your relationships? I want to start, uh, so think about those questions and I'll tell you a little bit about a friend of mine, Peter. Peter, if you had met him early on, he was a relatively, you know, bright person early in his 20s. Um, great guy, pretty advanced in his education. Uh, got through school and his master's quite aggressively because he was quite smart. Um, but have you ever met those people that are pretty brilliant, pretty, pretty good, but sort of in their character? Kind of a jerk. This was Peter. Now, Peter was someone who would have readily, when he tells the story of this, would say, Early on, I, I was not someone who knew Jesus. I didn't come to know him till long after I was done school. So late 20s, early 30s is when he, in his life, came to know the person, the work of Jesus, uh, and the work of the Holy Spirit in him. And if you met him now, Peter's now about mid-50s, good friend of mine, has been a mentor, actually, for the last five, six years. If you met him now and you spent time with him, here's what I think you'd be impressed by. You'd be impressed by the fact that he's a, a very caring man. Uh, he intuitively knows, and I used someone over this, this morning, so I knew, he would intuitively know someone over here is maybe having a hard time. I'm going to go out of my way, sit down with him and say, how are you doing and can I help in some way? When he gets in a conflict moment with somebody, uh, he's not fired up. He, he never, I've never in all the time I've seen him, see him get reactionary and flare up in anger. He's typically the, the one who says, you know, let's just pause. Let's pray together about this before we do anything. Uh, there is in him, if you took a spiritual snapshot of him uh, at a certain point in his life earlier and a spiritual snapshot now, you'd say, boy, there's a person in whom uh, God has done good things. The Holy Spirit really has transformed that person. He was a jerk. And now uh, I learn about following Jesus from him. That's the sort of thing you see happen in people sometimes. And so I mentioned this, I asked the questions and I mentioned the example of Peter for three reasons. Here's the first one. The fact of the matter is, um, we all ought to know someone like this. If you're part of a church like Ivanrest or any Bible-believing church where people are learning to follow Jesus, you all, all, you all, that doesn't seem right at all, y'all, all of us ought to know someone like this. We ought to be able to look around our church and say, I know the Holy Spirit's at work in my church because Susan over there, 
she's being changed. I can see it in her. And, you know, Gary over here, when I watch what God's doing in his life, I can see the transforming work going on. Because we're the church, right? And we're the church in which the body of Christ has received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does this kind of work. So part of the reason why we can ask the question is because we should see it happening in other people's lives. And if I were to go to all of you and say, hey, do you know of anyone that's being changed in this way? Here's what should happen. This is the second reason. It could be the case that someone should be looking at you and saying, boy, when I see them, Holy Spirit's doing all kinds of transforming work in them. I've seen it. I've watched them. Say so your name, not for your bragging or anything, but, but your name ought to maybe come up now and then. That you are partnered with and in step, to use Paul's language in Galatians, you're in step with the Holy Spirit and changing and growing and actually having Christ formed in you. Here's the third reason why we bring it up. Because there's a tendency, and I'm not saying this is all true of all of us, but it sometimes happens to me, maybe happens to you. There's a tendency in moments for us to reduce Christianity to this transaction where I give Jesus my sins, he gives me his forgiveness, and I carry on until the next time in trouble. And again, Jesus, I give you my sin, and then he gives me forgiveness. And we reduce this Christianity, this life, to this transaction that goes back and forth all the time. I give sin, he gives forgiveness. I give sin, he gives forgiveness. I get frustrated, keep sinning. I keep going back, he gives forgiveness. And that's sort of what happens in the work of being a Christian. Uh, Let's be honest, that's not much of a life. And it's not the life Jesus came to give. In John 10, he says, I've come that you could have life to the full. When Paul writes about this, he says, "I've, I've, I've seen people being transformed by the work of Christ. And so I'm going to invite you to look at the passage with me. We're going to try to get a clear picture of what that might look like and then talk about some concrete places where that happens. So if you look at the passage, you can turn there for a second and you'll see uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. The first key word there, if you're following along, is this word, therefore. Uh, Not to get too technical, but therefore is sort of a logical thing, right? If I were talking, I would give all kinds of evidence and I'd say, therefore, let's do this. And that's a little bit of what Paul's doing. He has just finished, if you look at the section ahead, it's more than we're going to read, but the whole section ahead has been about how the the work of God in the Old Testament with Moses was a certain kind of goodness, but not the whole goodness. Because in Christ there is more. And so he says, therefore. And then he goes on in the five verses that we read, and you probably saw this, and maybe as I was reading it, you wonder, what in the world? There's this language of veils, right? If you look at verse 14, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14, but in their minds they were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. There's this idea that in the Old Testament, uh, there was this veil where people couldn't see everything clearly. The fullness of what God was doing was no longer there. But now you and I, Paul says, that's not us. You and I, Paul says, are in Christ, to use his language. And then the veil is taken away and we see clearly. We know clearly what God is doing. We can understand, perceive the fullness of what God might be inviting us into. And then he has this startling conclusion. If you're looking at verse 18, he says this, And we all, who now have the unveiled faces, like the veil's been taken away, as we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And focus with me on just that last part where it says, We are being transformed into his image. 
we are being transformed into his image. When Paul talks about the church, when he speaks about what the Holy Spirit does in you and in me, and then in all of us collectively, he says, we are being transformed. And we're not just being changed into something that's beautiful or something that just feels nice. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you, in me, in us. Now, just a couple of technical things because they're important. This, this verb, we are being transformed, you notice it's, it, those that are, is there any grammar teachers here? It's a passive verb, which means you're not the originator of the action, right? In a passive verb, something happens, it starts out here, and it impacts me. That's what's happening in this verb. And actually, it's a really particular one where it says, God's doing something out here, and I'm the beneficiary of it. God's doing something over here, and you are the beneficiary of it. God's doing transforming work that started out here. You didn't make it happen. You didn't catalyze it in place. This is all him, all his work, and it's happening, and it's benefiting you and I. Now, I spend a couple minutes there because I think there's an important piece maybe for all of us to just pause and take in. For some of us here this morning, um, and I'm not saying all of us, but maybe, maybe it's true of a certain percentage there are moments that go on in our life with Jesus and in, our, in, in the routine of our following of Jesus where it becomes very hard for us to know, to see, to be convinced that God's actually doing anything. We don't speak it out loud in polite conversation, but inside of our being, in this core of who we are, we know it's been a while since he stirred in us anything. There's a dullness just a tiredness. And along comes Paul and he says, listen, even if you aren't the, the, the genesis of it, even if you're not the one that's catalyzing it, you need to know, church, God is doing a good work. He has begun something by his initiative and it is a transforming work and you're the beneficiary of it. Even if it's hard for you to see, even if you don't always know it, even if, you know, to say we don't feel it happening, has no bearing on whether God is doing it. His work is independent. His work is ongoing. His work is powerful. And even if you and I don't always see it, it is going on, and we are the beneficiaries of it. So we would say, um, for some of us for whom that's hard to see, uh, this morning might only be for you to remember and be reminded that God is still doing a good thing. Some of us, though, it's not that God isn't doing a good thing. We maybe have this conviction, but in the, uh, let's just call it what it is, in, in just the burdensome junk of our world with storms and political fighting and poverty and unrest, we sometimes aren't sure God's doing a transforming thing. And rightfully, like the psalmist, sometimes want to cry out, God, how long is this going to go on? Paul still says, even if it's hard to see, even if there's all kinds of junk that you have to get through, understand there's this God-authored thing that's going on, and you're the beneficiary of it. He is still about this transforming work. And then maybe it's important for us just to know that there are seasons for some of us. Maybe it's not all the time, but maybe there's moments, there's seasons where, where honestly we're not just convinced God's doing much. 
It's because a, a marriage is going hard. It's because a relationship is, is busted. It's because a, you know, a job has been lost. And it, it's, it's simply hard. And Paul this morning comes and says, uh, you, you can't make it happen. You can't catalyze it. But know this, our God is still at work doing a really good thing. He's initiated it. It's going on. And it is for your benefit for the transformation of you to be into more and more like Christ. And not just me, but for the church. And not just Ivanrest, but for the church as it exists throughout the world. That God is doing this renewing, transforming thing, always. And so if you, you, know, if you walk out today and say, uh, what was that about? If nothing else, even if it's hard for you to feel like it's true, Walk out with this conviction from Paul. God's doing a thing, a good thing, a transforming thing, always. Some of us needed to come here just to be reminded that God does that. And if that's you, you know, you just, just live in the goodness of that promise. Others of us here this morning are probably thinking something like this. Okay, so I hear it, I see it, I understand what you're saying, even in hard stuff, and I'll try to have the faith, you know, I'll pray for the faith to see and know that. But there's a bunch of people who are going, show me. How does this happen? How do I know? Now, let's be clear. What, I, what we're going to talk about the rest of the time is not me saying, if you work hard at all these things, that'll make God's stuff happen all the more. God, God's going to do his transforming work. But there are ways in which you and I can cooperate with the movements of the Holy Spirit. So they're not rocket science. They're all in the Bible, but we could look at a couple of them. And that's why I brought this with me. Um, and if I said this in the first service, I'll say it again. If you've ever seen anything like this, attribute the idea to the person you heard it from the first time, because I know I stole it. I can't remember. I looked at my notes. I don't remember where I got the idea from. So please put the footnote here and go, uh, he stole that. And yes, I did. Um, so here's the idea. This is just normal water, normal hot pot, kettle thing. Um, but on its own, if I said, hey, I want to transform that water, um, it, nothing happens if I just want it. Right? I go, well, it would be nice if it trans... But if I wanted to do something to it and have it change and be transformed, I would just simply do this. I would apply a certain amount of heat. Right? And we're just going to let that go, turn it on. And what's happening now is the hot plate inside is applying a certain amount of heat to the water that's inside. Now, I, want, I give you the image because I want you to just place that image in your head. That if we apply enough heat to something, it always transforms. The scientists in the room will go, yep, that's true. Enough heat, everything gets transformed. Everything changes. And so we're going to talk about that as a way to think about this transforming work that God has initiated, that he's doing, that we're benefiting from. And now we have this posture of saying, how could I, how could you, how could a church cooperate with this thing that God's already doing? We're going to talk about applying spiritual heat. And I'll give you a couple of examples. The first one's pretty easy. Sometimes spiritual heat comes from other people. I know that sounds pretty simple. But look beside, if you're married or you're dating someone and they're sitting beside you, look at them and just go ahead, look at them, grab their hand, put your arm around them if you need to. It could be the case that God has given you that person for a certain measure of spiritual heat in your life. 
Here's the biblical thing about marriage or relationships. God takes two people and says, now you become one. And you are to follow me together as one. Uh, so that it's not just, hey, I have my spiritual life and my spouse has their spiritual life and we hope it all works out okay. God says, no, I've brought you together in a way that requires you to be one before me. So that in a marriage, let's be clear, husbands and wives are in some measure a source of spiritual heat to spur one another on. Parents know this. You know that you want, you do everything you can to be spiritual heat to spur on faith in your kids. Anyone been in a small group? Love to get together, love to, have, you know, watch the game, love to have, you know, a good meal together. But one of the reasons why people might get in a, in a uh, group together is so that together we can have yielded hearts to each other and grow one another with spiritual heat of some kind. Uh, Hebrews 10. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Listen to this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So that when the Bible thinks about you and I following Jesus, it's never this individual sport. Following Christ is always this team sport where you need other people. Where you can't simply pursue Christ on your own. He put you in a body. Or a matter of fact, Paul says every part needs the other one. Sometimes we need each other to actually spur each other on to good spiritual things. So that if I yield my heart to you in a conversation and say, here's what's going on, it might be that the Holy Spirit prompts you to say biblically true things to me and in so doing apply a measure of heat that changes my spiritual temperature. It could be that you are actually being called by God to be in a relationship like that where part of your role is to be a speaker with grace and truth of God's words for someone else in their transformation or maybe in your small group. Because this following is of Jesus sometimes, not sometimes, it simply requires each other. And so we spur each other on or we receive the spurring on of others. And some measure of spiritual heat happens. And you can see the temperature beginning to change. Sometimes, we'll go to a second one, um, spiritual heat is from other people. But sometimes it's not just from other people, it's from God himself. And often, if we think about what's happening here, this is a place where a lot of spiritual heat can happen when we worship. Now, there's a couple of things maybe around that we have to say. Sometimes, here, my confession, sometimes I go to church and I don't actually feel like worshiping. I go, you know, I got too many things going on. I actually feel kind of tired from the week and I come and I'm not really in a space where it feels much like worship. I may be the only one. Um, but what would it look like for me to enter into this place in a way that actually allows spiritual heat to be exerted on me? Maybe it means I come in and I say, God, I, I actually don't feel like being here, but I want to make you central to all that I do. And I want to be with a group of people for whom everything else has fallen away and we are together placing you first and foremost. We're reordering our lives here. This is what worship is, right? This is a conversation in which we reorder our lives. God, we aren't the first and foremost in our lives. God, please grant us forgiveness. God, we give you praise. God, please teach us from your word. God, we respond to what you say. We're reordering our lives here. When I reorder my life, I am reminded I am not my own, right? 
When I hear other people singing and praising, I remember that it's not simply words, but it's to honor God. And there's a certain amount of spiritual heat in my decision, right, to be here. Um, it, I had a worship pastor who was at our, the last church I was in. He always used to say to us, you, you mentally and with your will get to decide to worship. You don't get sort of field in, feel into it. You, you decide, I'm going to honor Jesus today. I'm going to reorder. Psalmists talk about this. I'll give you an example. Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. You see, I always used to read that and go, well, what do you mean? Just praise my, my friend used to say, just decide that your heart will now give praise to God and reorder how you live. A certain amount of spiritual heat comes to that, and you can see things start to be transformed. I'm going to give you another one. The heat of God's kindness. The heat of God's kindness often applied to our life changes something. And some of us aren't sure about this. Well, let me give you a couple of questions that might help you think about this. Have any of you ever been in a season, a moment or a time, where you knew you were disproportionately blessed? Where things were so good for you, and you had no way to account for it? Uh, someone told me about this this past week. They were holding their grandson, their very first grandson. And this grandfather told me, it was so good to hold my grandson. And it, it, for him, that moment was one of being disproportionately blessed. Anyone ever felt that way where, where you've received something, you've received goodness, there is a lightness to your being and you know you didn't do it? It wasn't from you, but it seems as though God has blessed you in a disproportionately good way. This is God's kindness, right? God's goodness, God's blessing. And often, rightly, the response is, God, thank you for your goodness. But sometimes the response is a bit different. Sometimes it can be a bit of spiritual heat. Romans 2 says this, So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and, do not, and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? We'll get there. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Listen to the last part. Not realizing that God's kindness, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God's kindness can sometimes produce spiritual heat in us that can convict us and say, I know I need to change. And I've been going down a certain path, a certain trajectory, a certain way of doing things, and because of God's goodness to me, this undeserved goodness to me, I feel the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, and I now need to change and go another direction. This is repentance. Anyone ever needed to repent of anything? Sometimes God uses his kindness to convict the heart of a human being. Some of us this morning actually know this feeling because we've known this convicting work of the Holy Spirit and maybe some of us are feeling it right now that God is actually saying it's time now. Now is the time. That practice, that habit, that situation, that thing no one knows, the, 
the way you've been living, stop. And he's not doing it going tsk, tsk, tsk. It's because he loves and is kind and he's calling and whispering, inviting. So that the transformation that he longs for, that he started and that we benefit from can continue. I'm going to give you one last one. There's probably more, but you can see we continue to have heat and transformation. I'm going to give you this last one. Before I do, let me just give a caveat at the beginning. I'm going to, I'm going to say what it is. Um, there, there's an explanation that's this big for what I'm going to say, and I'm only going to get to say this much. So I, I'm going to talk for a minute about the fact that there is um, spiritual heat that often comes in times of hardship. Now, here's what happens for us. Some of us say, you don't know how hard it's been, and I don't. And when we talk about hardship and the brokenness of the world, there's, there's probably this much we could say, if not this much. or whatever. We're going to talk, about, I, I can only talk about this much. So please don't think, to, if you walk in and go, this morning, uh, this guy from the seminary said that all suffering is God's goodness or something. No, uh, there's a long explanation we have to have about all the brokenness of this world. But the Bible seems to suggest that there are moments situations, if you will, where the brokenness of our lives and of this world are a source of spiritual heat for our transformation. Some of you know this because you've done the hindsight thing. You've looked back and you've said, that was the worst season of my life, but God sure taught me something there. In the moment, if someone tells you, you want to tell them, shut up, I don't want to hear from you. But in hindsight, we often see that God was teaching and shaping and doing things we never were able to discern in the moment. But when we came out on the other end, we were different. We were transformed in some measure. Paul says, We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, he says, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Look at the order there. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And who of us, in the midst of brokenness, doesn't need some more hope? Who of us, when God does this transforming work, wouldn't say, God, if you could do some transformational work in me that would give me a little more hope, I'd be in for that. So that sometimes this work that God has begun, it, the only thing we can do in the hardship is lean into it. God, continue to do your good work. I don't understand it. I don't have all the answers, but I will trust you. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance in character. Character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. So that sometimes the spiritual heat that is needed is God working in his providence through the brokenness. Now, think of the contrast for a minute. Often in the, in the, here's me in those seasons of brokenness. God, please take it away. God, please solve that. And I think those are right, good prayers. Please don't hear me saying not to pray them, but sometimes God says, not yet, because there's transforming work I'm going to do through this broken thing. So that there could be spiritual heat for the good work of God forming Christ in us that happens through all of these means. 
And just to hold out the goal there, right? The, the goal here is God saying, you are being transformed into Christ's likeness. And for the sake of clarity, it's not just me. It's not just you. It's his church. That he's saying, I'm going to transform not just individual people, but, but whole communities of people. Um, when I was, Chris and I, my wife and I, we've been married for 24 years. Uh, the first two years of marriage, uh, for us, maybe not for you, uh, were a bit challenging here and there. Uh, and I don't, I'm no big confession, I'm just, I think this is a level of normal thing that happens there. Because I'd been living a certain, you know, I finished college, I got my degree, and you make it through college, at least I did, by, by just sort of charting your own course, right? I did what I wanted to do, spent my money I wanted to spend, went where I wanted to go, um, and then she did the same, and then you, you bring these two things to, together, right? And suddenly you realize, um, I can't live that way anymore, because there's a bigger picture at stake. There's a, there's a marriage to be built, right? There's a, a bigger vision of what I'm supposed to be doing than just going about my own little thing. You don't have to be married to know that, but can we, can we agree for a minute that something similar happens for every one of us when we're part of the church of Jesus Christ? You see, one of the ways this whole conversation we've talked about this morning could go is that we would sit back and go, yep, the pastor this morning said that God wants to transform me. And I want to cooperate with that. And hear me, that'd be, that's beautiful and good. But please also know that God's transforming work is not simply so that you would be changed and you alone would feel a little better and, and it would go better for you. God's transformation of you is for a bigger picture. Just like, you know, when you enter into that marriage, it's a bigger picture. God's transformation of you is not simply so you'd feel better. It's so that you can be partnered with him in this huge vision of transforming the world. You see, God's interested in changing you and I by the power of his spirit. But he's interested in transforming every part of this world. So that where there's injustice, he says, I want to I teach you about injustice and I want to have you be grown and grow through injustice and hardship because you're going to go fix injustice in this world. Or, uh, I, want you, I, I know that painful thing happened I, and I've walked alongside you. There's spiritual heat and learning you have because there's a place of brokenness only you'll be able to go into and speak about. Or you've learned this work of receiving truth from other people for your transformation and you've been transformed and now I invite you into the transforming work that you might do with other people, being a discipler of people in my name. You see how this goes? It's not just for us, it's for this grand, huge vision and God's inviting you in. And it begins with this receiving of God's activity and receiving and partnering with it. Saying, yes, God, I'm in. Transform me. And I'll dive in the game of your transforming work. Incredible moment where the creator says, get in, get in this. Come on, join in. And it has small acts of speaking with one another, repenting of sin, walking through hardship with trust in Christ, all for this purpose of being transformed. You are being transformed. I am. We are. For a real big, huge purpose. So this coming week, uh, my challenge to you would be, maybe, maybe make a choice. Say, I'm going I'm to lean into one of those places. Try to cooperate with what God's doing in the spiritual heat department. 
you know, here's a practical one, husbands and wives. If you've not spent time producing a certain amount of spiritual heat for one another, it might be the most important thing you could do. Grab your spouse by the hand and say, you and I, we need to pray. We're going we're gonna to make sure we are contributing to each other's spiritual well-being every day. Might be that you're a small group. You know, guys, we've been having a great time together. Let's turn up the heat a little bit. Let's yield ourselves in a new way to what God wants to do in us. There could be all kinds of ways for the transformation of all of us that God's doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for the, the good promise to every one of us and to this church that you're, tra- you're, you're doing your transforming work, we say thank you. We say thank you and it gives us hope even when there are moments where it's hard to see or know. Some of us this morning um, know the goodness of someone in our life who has been a transforming influence, who has been used by you to bring a certain measure of spiritual heat. And so we say thank you to you for them, for their good work, for your using them in our lives. Some of us maybe feel the conviction of your Holy Spirit that this morning you have graciously and kindly invited us to repentance. Would you give us the courage to take that step and maybe even to take it with someone alongside of us and and say, I I just simply need help with this. Could you help me? Whatever the case may be, Father, I pray for the, the people here, for for Ivanrest Church, that it would be a place where the spiritual heat and temperature only goes up because of their following of you. Their willingness to be yielded to all of your good work in them. And this deep faith conviction that we have that you are doing a good thing, that we are being transformed, even if it's hard to see sometimes, that we can trust your good work always. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So while the worship team is coming up, we're going to sing a song after this about the basic framework for this. And that is that God is our Father, and he has said to you, you're my son, you're my daughter,